This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm a physician and clinical scientist in the Division of Respiratory Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by two distinguished experts in sleep disordered breathing who were respectively the chair and a member of the subcommittee that wrote today's article for discussion, Research Priorities in Pathophysiology for Sleep Disordered Breathing in Patients with Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease. Dr. Mahotra is Professor and Division Chief Pulmonary Critical Care Sleep Medicine and the Director of Sleep Medicine at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. He's also the past president of the American Thoracic Society, which made this topic um, uh, the topic of this podcast, a leadership initiative. Uh, Dr. Badder is Professor and Chair of the Department of Internal Medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine, Detroit in Michigan. Thank you both for joining us today. Dr. Mahotra, perhaps I, I can start with you. Can you explain the background, purpose, and methodology uh, for these research priorities? Uh, sure. Thank you for uh, the question, and thank you for inviting me to participate. The background was that this topic of conversation had come up in quite a number of different venues, either at the American Thoracic Society meeting during poster discussion sessions or at thematic poster sessions, but it also come up during visits to the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, in particular, the National Heart, Lung, Blood Institute, have made a priority on chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And I think the feeling among sleep physicians is that uh, we need more research on this overlap of sleep and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And I think the uh, feeling is that we can't ignore one-third of uh, people's lives. And so if we're trying to treat COPD optimally, some consideration to what goes on during sleep is important. There's been an increasing literature on this overlap syndrome of sleep apnea plus COPD, and I think uh, a, m a number of questions remain unanswered. So the methodology was basically to convene a group of experts, some of whom were involved in the conversations at the American Thoracic Society, but also we sought outside opinions as well. Rather than just preaching to the choir, we brought in people with expertise in sleep disorder breathing, in chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, in epidemiology, and in other aspects. And I think in the end, we end up with a, uh, a very well-rounded, uh, balanced uh, group of participants. Uh, Dr. Pada, is, is obstructive sleep apnea more common in patients with COPD? There's actually no evidence that obstructive sleep apnea is more common in this group. But what it is, uh, uh, what is more likely is that the consequences of these two conditions when they are together uh, are, are more pronounced. And, and I guess hence the overlap syndrome uh, that 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 we've been discussing for for years. Um, one 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 theme I always like to push is that we actually have one airway that begins from the nose all the way into the terminal airway, uh, terminal bronchioles, and in, and in that case, narrowing anywhere along the path would actually add to the consequences. So no, it's not not more common, although it, the, the consequences may be more significant. If I may add to that, I think that was part of the discussion that got this going because we, we presented some data in moderate to severe COPD saying upwards of 65% of those have evidence of sleep apnea. And people said, well, that's 
just because they're hypoxemic, you're seeing desaturations, that's not really sleep apnea. And that is sort of emblematic of the debate in terms of the diagnostic criteria. Some people say sleep apnea is very common because there's desaturation. Other people argue that it's a bit tautologic to say desaturation causes desaturation. And so uh, I think that's the crux of the uh, uh, reason we need more research. Well, I think if I, if I may add, and I think I will hit the nail on the head. We are using terminology that doesn't particularly fit this entity. Uh, and, and that's one of, also part of the discussion that, that we've been through. So people use the two terms, sleep disorder breathing and obstructive sleep apnea in an interchangeable fashion. And they're not really the same. Uh, so that's why in particularly, in, so using the criteria that were designed around the diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea uh, to apply to this condition may not be accurate. And you're absolutely right. So depending on how you set your definitions, you come up with different numbers. Now, what's the significance of sleep disordered breathing in patients with COPD? And what were the recommendations of the subcommittee? So um, I'll tackle that first and then welcome uh, Dr. Batter's opinion. The combination of obstructive sleep apnea plus COPD, the overlap syndrome, has been associated with uh, poor outcomes. So I think the best data are from Marin and colleagues from Spain, well, they published in the Blue Journal some years ago that if you follow those patients prospectively over time, that their outcomes are quite poor, their mortality is increased. If they have the combination of sleep apnea plus COPD, the overlap syndrome, as compared to either disease alone. What we had to be careful about in this context of an ATS research statement is we couldn't give clinical recommendations. And so I can give you my opinion as uh, somebody that's interested in this topic, but our particular statement didn't give clinical recommendations. Um, I fully agree, and uh, this is one area where, where the data, and again, we have to be careful. These were observational studies, not double-blind blind randomized control studies, uh, show that there is an increased mortality. So I am actually, with my patients with COPD uh, uh, who have sleep disorder breathing, I tend to be more aggressive in wanting to treat every element of their disease, and, and that means treating their sleep disorder breathing treating their COPD, and also treating their sleep, because sleep by itself, not, not with hypnotics, mind you, but, but working with them on issues of sleep hygiene and, 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 and quality of sleep, because that combination, when you put it all together, is, is not a good combination. But again, this is not from the statement. This is our own individual practice. But, but I think what I could say from the statement that's quite shocking to me, at least, is for an exceedingly common uh, overlap of conditions, sleep apnea and COPD are not rare diseases. And I think it's fair to say there are really no randomized controlled trials that give us guidance in terms of best therapy. So many of us do treat these patients clinically, but we're not really being guided by randomized controlled trials. One, one example would be the Conline study published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine some years ago, supporting aggressive therapy for COPD patients, but really sleep apnea was... Uh, either excluded or largely overlooked in that study. Now, is the apnea hypopnea index uh, useful in patients with COPD? So I'll comment, um, and the uh, short answer is we don't know. It's one of those things that, again, we need more research on. I'll give you some anecdotal sort of information. So, for example, if there's sustained hypoventilation, if somebody has a reduction in breathing that goes on for 20 or 30 minutes, by the scoring criteria, that's considered a single hypopnea. But you don't, you know, it's quite obvious that the consequences of that 
30 minutes of hypoventilation or sustained desaturation may be substantial, but just counting events really doesn't capture the degree of abnormality. So the hypopnea index may have some prognostic value, but certainly other metrics for severity of gas exchange impairment and sleep disruption are probably useful. And that was one of our recommendations as far as research priorities were concerned is let's consider other metrics for severity of abnormality. So so one of the issues with the apnea hypopnea index is that I think sometimes there's a bit of a circular logic. The example that uh, Dr. Alhotra just gave you is a, is a profound one we deal with all the time. Now, there are flip examples, which is patients with COPD lack the compensatory mechanisms uh, for changing, for increasing load. So, for example, if you try to uh, respond to a resistive load by, short, by changing your timing, they may, may end up hyperinflated. And with hyperinflation, they may have sleep fragmentation. So we sometimes see examples where you suspect looking at the polysomnogram, it's looking like a quote-unquote hypopnea, but it's not quite meeting the, the metrics uh, to, to make the diagnosis. Uh, sometimes patients who are active smokers, there may be changes in the shift, left shift in their oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve that may obscure the findings. So I think the ter- while the term is appropriate, uh, but the operational definitions of what constitutes a respiratory event in the context of a COPD and sleep disorder breathing are, are not clear. So, yes, this is another area where we need additional studies. In the meantime, other indices are, is what we're recommending. We look, need to look at the physiologic consequences, maybe the degree of desaturation, maybe arterial tenometry, uh, frequency and of, of events, any of these additional metrics will, will be helpful. Right now, for us as clinicians, it, it's an aggregate. Now, starting with you, Dr. Banner, is, is sleep apnea still the appropriate term to use in patients with COPD? I, I think, well, one, I think we, we prefer to use, to use the term sleep disorder breathing because sleep disorder breathing encompasses uh, the combination uh, whether you have obstructive sleep apnea, uh, or central sleep apnea, increased airway resistance, hypoventilation, sleep fragmentation, even desaturation. It's actually an appropriate term uh, if you have a respiratory disease, and, and it, would be, it would be more accurate. I personally prefer it also over the term obstructive sleep apnea because that's not, because that's not accurate. Yeah, I might add to that. We, we did discuss along the way perhaps creating some new verbiage just because there is uh, confusion with the existing terminology. So we came up with the term sleep-associated respiratory disturbance, but uh, really the committee was opposed to that new terminology. They thought it might just add confusion rather than bring clarity, in part because we don't have good epidemiology or prognostic information on, on, on the new term. But I think the concept that there's more going on than just sleep apnea or hypoventilation is an important point. Now, is REM-related oxygen desaturation uh, predictive of poor outcomes in patients with COPD? So, again, I think the short answer is we don't know. Um, as you're well aware, even in run-of-the-mill obstructive sleep apnea, there's been controversy about uh, how important is REM-related desaturation. Some people argue some physiologic variability is normal in REM sleep, the recent data by Babak Mokalisi and Naresh Punjabi has suggested 
important prognostic value for REM-related respiratory disturbance. In COPD, on occasion, you see profound desaturations during REM sleep, and my guess is what's going on there is atonia in the accessory muscles of respiration. The diaphragm keeps working, but the intercostals and other muscles are no longer uh, uh, active, or they're hypotonic or atonic during REM sleep. And those profound desaturations, in my view, are probably often related to hypoventilation. My guess is those do have important consequences, but again, that's a guess. We haven't really done appropriate studies to make that determination. Is capnography valuable in sleep studies with people with C- patients with COPD? Well, I think I think this will be one area where uh, measuring CO2 is would be very useful uh, because saturation and desaturation may not may not be able to capture. What if, what's a fundamental issue in patients with COPD, which is that they hypoventilate for mechanical reasons. Um, the problem is that which kind of capnography, uh, and I use, and both Atul and I use, and tidal CO2 in our research studies. Now, it, there are issues of accuracy if, and, and, and delayed signals if you have airflow obstruction. Transcutaneous CO2 monitoring may be more accurate, uh, and, but it is more delayed. You cannot use it on a breath-by-breath. So this is another area where we probably need uh, studies to be able to compare different methods of evaluating gas exchange uh, in patients with, uh, with, with COPD and sore breathing. Uh, perhaps a combination of pulse oximetry and transcutaneous, see if this picks up more, more events and identify more uh, pathology. Now, should supplemental oxygen be withdrawn for overnight polysomnography uh, when we have patients with the suspected overlap syndrome? I think the short answer is it depends. It was the recommendation of our uh, group, working group and, and committee, to try to withdraw oxygen if possible uh, to, in order to optimize the uh, testing. That is to say, if you give somebody supplemental oxygen enough that they're much less likely to desaturate, you get better diagnostic data. Uh, off of oxygen. That having been said, obviously, if the patient has profound hypoxemia off oxygen, then uh, the diagnostic information is less important than, than obviously, the the safety of the patient. So the recommendations we had were to remove the oxygen and see whether the saturations were above 88% uh, or so. And if they were, then to go ahead with, uh, with diagnostic testing off of oxygen. In a patient with daytime hypoxemia, where there's very clearly mortality benefit to providing supplemental oxygen, uh, you know, obviously oxygen is indicated and is life-saving. However, uh, many of us believe that we as a field have probably overused nocturnal oxygen because when you look at outcome data, they're, they're more sparse. The recent LTOT study published in New England Journal in the last uh, two years or so suggested that supplemental oxygen for so more minor hypoxemia and, and for uh, the kinds of patients that don't have sustained daytime hypoxemia perhaps isn't indicated. So I believe actually we as a field have probably overused nocturnal oxygen. And in some cases, probably ventilation may be the more appropriate therapy. But again, that's an assumption not based on randomized trials. What are the polysomnographic features of sleep disordered breathing? For the most part, the polysomnography, a, a high-quality polysomnography, will identify the same type of events that you will see in in 
in patients in, uh, without COPD. Now, there may be sometimes some additional findings you will see, and depending on how, how detailed one, one, or, or, uh, one, one is looking. For example, we've, we've done a study in our own group, and we found that there is expiratory snoring that you can capture in patients with COPD. Um, with, with which you don't see in those without COPD. Um, and, but sometimes what you see, you could see a, a significant desaturation, uh, which, is, which is unaccounted for. Uh, sometimes what you see because of the sleep fragmentation and the hyperinflation, you see what may look like events, but, but it's not capturing it. But for the most part, I think the, the polysomnogram, a high-quality polysomnogram, uh, is enough to capture uh, uh, significant events. Uh, but again, we need to be able to, to do some studies to validate some other measurements, especially now there's a whole uh, the, the trend toward doing studies at home, which are not validated in this population, but maybe we need to be able to look at characterized sleep without EEG uh, to be able to assess the severity of sleep disorder breathing in this population. Now, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and obstructive sleep apnea are both thought to be independent risk factors for the development of cardiovascular disease. Was there any discussion with the subcommittee about developing recommendations of whether patients with the overlap syndrome should be screened for cardiovascular disease? So, again, our charge was that we couldn't give clinical recommendations. We could simply define research priorities. Uh, but if you're asking me as a clinician, when should we screen for... Um, sleep disorders in COPD, I do think it should be part of our uh, review of systems and part of the history and physical examination. Whether every single patient should get a sleep test becomes an economic issue and people could appropriately ask for outcome data before giving such a broad recommendation. That having been said, I think some of the research on this topic are of interest. Uh, so Rachel Jen, actually, who's working now with, uh, with you, John, uh, in Vancouver, did some work on this and We've done some prior work as well. If you look at cardiac MRI studies, the mass of the right ventricle is about double in patients who have COPD plus sleep apnea compared to either disease alone. We know the commonest cause of death in COPD is cardiovascular, so it's certainly possible that this overlap uh, of sleep apnea and COPD has important consequences. We've also seen some evidence of myocardial fibrosis based on cardiac MRI as a function of hypoxia. But again, these are research studies, not clinically directive. Now, Dr. Bader, uh, can you summarize the key conclusions of the subcommittee? Well, the, the subcommittee made up several recommendations, actually multiple recommendations related to areas that need to be pursued. I think this is the main theme, is that this is an area where there's insufficient literature, uh, when data are few, experts are many. And now we need to be able to come up with some very specific focus study, and we hope that this document will at least inform future studies. So the, the recommendations are in multiple categories. For example, we recommended uh, studies to understand the mechanisms underlying uh, uh, respiratory mecha mechanics during sleep. We need to understand the different types of, of sleep disorder breathing, how these things interact. Uh, there is a need for uh, epidemiological studies, for example. Uh, there is, is there any relationship between the prevalence of OSA and the severity of CAPD? Um, that's, that's also another important one. Is there a difference in the clinical outcome between patients with, uh, with uh, uh, 
obesity hypoventilation, or those patients with OSA alone uh, or uh, uh, COPD alone. Uh, other clinical trials to compare clinical, clinical outcome in patients with the overlap syndrome, if you treat the sleep apnea or didn't treat the sleep apnea. Uh, then there is, there is recommendation about methodology. Uh, method, we need studies to compare different gas exchange, um, hypoventilation, transcutaneous CO2. We don't know the role of all of these things uh, in different studies. And, and really, we, we definitely need studies that compare various methods to assess ventilation. Uh, I don't think the uh, polysomnogram in its current format is, is specific enough or precise enough to detect some of these changes. And I think this may be, this may be what we need. And I, I, I have a feeling, and this is my own personal opinion, that the polysomnogram evolved uh, for your garden variety sleep disorder breathing. And as you have different comorbid conditions interacting with it, we may need more specific measurements for different combinations. And this is, this is a classic example of them. Great. So before we close, um, do you have any final points you'd like to emphasize about this research statement, perhaps starting with you at all? Uh, sure. Thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for the discussion. I think the two overarching themes that we concluded were that we need more research in this area, very common diseases that are uh, under-researched, and so the, part of this was just a plea for more uh, research in this area. And the other overarching theme, I think, is that you can't ignore one-third of the 24-hour day. And so if you're a clinician treating patients with COPD, you can't ignore what happens between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. I think in terms of take-home messages, I agree with what Dr. Batter just said. I think we need to redefine hypopneas and develop evidence-based criteria in COPD. We need more randomized controlled trials, particularly in overlap syndrome. And although we discussed creating new terminology, I think we need more epidemiology and more mechanistic research before we can do that in a credible way. Dr. Batter? Um, I, I fully agree with what Atul mentioned. I think the, the idea is everything, as, as a pulmonologist also, uh, I think we all practice wakefulness medicine. And we treat 16 hours and we leave the other eight hours. I think there is, there is an opportunity through starting with COPD to look at the interface between sleep and all respiratory conditions. So patients with COPD, their COPD is likely to could get worse during sleep, probably for circadian rhythm, rhythm abnormalities, or because they have sleep apnea on, on top of it. The same thing applies to patients with restrictive lung disease, neuromuscular disease. So I think this idea that we need to look at sleep in a holistic way across the board is, is an important one. And I couldn't emphasize more than the need for being able to define what is what we're calling a hypopnea in the context of patients with COPD, which is what is the abnormal respiratory event that this particular patient population manifests that will lead to adverse outcomes so we can treat. And then obviously we need to studies on treatment. So to close, I'd like to thank Drs. Mahotra and Bader for doing this podcast. To the listener, to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blues, uh, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated when any new episodes are available. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.